I would say there's two things that you need to have that you need to start learning right now. And that's empathy and humility. Because I say that is because those are two things that I feel in today's world is what you need to be a good leader. Uh, you need to have the ability to understand what someone else is going through and put yourself in their shoes before you make any type of judgment. And then you had need to have the humility to be able to say a lot of times what you're saying isn't the most important thing. Mm. And what they're saying is more important. So today's guest is, man, I, I can't tell you how how many great experiences I have with this dude at, at ESPN, and, and he's more than just a friend. He's family, man. Uh, today's guest is Teddy Bruski, and, you know, Teddy, we're going to get into your journey, man, but I want to give some of the highlights that that I know about you, but there's so much more that I want, I want to get into today, but... Teddy played ball. I hate to say this, but he played ball Go ahead. at the University of Arizona. That's right. You see that helmet right there. You see that? <laughs> bear down, right? Yeah, bear down. Bear down. Is that what they say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was the name of that? What was the name of the defense, Teddy? Desert Swarm. Desert Swarm, oh, man. man. And they were right. probably the best defense in the history of college football, known as one of the best defenses in the history of college football. But then he went on and got drafted. Uh, by the New England Patriots, and spent 12, 12 years, 13, 13, 13. years. I, I cut you yeah. off. He spent 13 years with the New England Patriots, went to five Super Bowls, won three of those. Yep. And, yeah. and I'm going to tell you, man, we're going to get into his story today, but I'm all, I, I get emotional when I talk about Teddy because I know the man behind um, – you know, all the accolades and he has a ton. ton, I'm not doing him any justice by bringing him in because he has a ton of accolades, both on the field, off the field, the whole nine great family, man, uh, Noah's heart, but he, he, he's a man that, uh, has a journey and and Teddy, we want to talk about your journey and go back, uh, to when you were a child, where were you raised? Can you give us your family dynamics? All right. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, bro. You would, like you said, me and you gotta go back a long way at ESPN over yeah. ten years, so uh, we got a lot of history. We've had a lot of time spent together yeah. off camera talking about a lot of things other than football. Yeah. But for me, um, started in San Francisco, California. I was born there, raised there. Uh, older brother, younger sister. Um, uh, right before I was about to go to high school in San Francisco, California, I moved up to Roseville, which is like north of Sacramento. So Northern California is basically all my years through high school. And then, of course, from high school, all, then I went down to Tucson, Arizona, to play for the University of Arizona uh, to play football. So West Coast guy mainly early on in my career. And then, of course, my migration pattern went Northern California, Arizona, out here to Massachusetts, where I've been since uh, my rookie year in 1996. Well, tell us a little bit about the family itself, man, because I know your mother and your father. Tell us about that situation and how, you, you know, and what shaped you at that age, Teddy? Because when you were coming up, I mean, if you know Teddy Bruski, you know he's hard-nosed. Mm-hmm. He, he, he studies hard, everything. He, he, you have a discipline about you. Where did you get that discipline from when you were coming up? Well, I say that's, that's probably mainly from my mother. Uh, my parents divorced when I was probably three or four years old, and – I was in a single parent household with my mother working, you know, multiple jobs between being a realtor, receptionist, those type of things, just trying to make ends meet. Um, So every night her coming home, we had to contribute with everything we had to do around the house in terms of making dinner, taking care of my little sister, making sure all three of us, because me and my little sister were one year apart, but my older brother was three years older. So we were still pretty much close to where we had to take care of each other individually uh, while mom was out working. So that's really what shaped me in terms of there's only one way and that's the hard way. And that's the way to do it. Uh, But my mother Juanita, uh, God rest her soul. She's in heaven now, but uh, she's the one that taught me a lot of 
a lot of my life lessons in terms of in terms of not doing anything half-assed about doing it one way and doing it the right way. Yeah. What what are what was your relationship with goals growing up? Meaning, did you write things down? Did you have big dreams to go play ball? Like, how did you look at goals as you were a kid? Yeah, um, I remember specifically like being in high school and being encouraged by my mother to specifically write things down on a piece of paper, whether it was your schedule, whether what you were going to do for that day. I mean, I remember I was a kid like wake up, brush teeth, have breakfast. Mm. I mean, it was, you know, like that type of stuff, man. I mean, all the way from there to like where you wanted to be towards the end of the year, um, like start every game, be all league, mm. um, you know, get a scholarship to college, those type of things. How much you wanted to get stronger per year, mm. what I wanted to weigh, what I wanted my grades to be. So very goal oriented in terms of writing things down. And I remember having them and like you have them, but I didn't want to look at them every single day. Mm. So I'd like pin them up in the closet where I couldn't see it, but I knew where it was where I could still, you know, pull it down and look at it like at the middle of the year, at the end of the year and see how well I did. So going through high school and, you know, I don't know how much you are willing to touch on your dad and the role that he played, but were there anybody else like male figures in your life that that were mentors for you, coaches, teachers, whatever it may be that kind of helped you navigate that path as a young athlete? You know, what was unique for me. It was my, my stepfather. Mm -hmm. Uh, when my mother remarried, Probably, I mean, when I was like closer to 10 years old and his name was Ron Sanders and he was with us for the rest of my life. So he passed away just last year. So he was the one that knew nothing about football, you know, and so he couldn't really give me tips and techniques on weight training, all that stuff. He was a tennis player, Mm -hmm. but he knew how to just be supportive to me Mm -hmm. and whether I needed to get a ride to the field to do some workouts or when I was in the, in, on the track and field team and throwing shot put or discus where he would just take me and he would shag for me every single day. And he would just be supportive for me in that aspect. And that was a very big contrast to the way my father was because my father was a former coach. My father was a teacher. My father was more old school Italian uh, in terms of this is what it should be. This is what you should do. Like all through my, um, my high school career, my dad wanted me to play linebacker. And I was like, no, I played offensive guard and defensive tackle in mm. high school. That's what mm, I was wow. doing so well at. It's what I was getting attention for. But he was like, no, you get to college. You got to play linebacker. I go to the defense. I go to Arizona and I end up playing defensive end. Mm. All I did was play defensive end. He was always on me about playing linebacker. And we got, we got, we, we butted heads pretty much about what he wanted me to do and what I wanted to do. So I had my supportive stepfather and then my, my dad who was telling me everything he thought that should be done. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was very stark contrast in terms of male sort of support figures. Um, lo and behold, when I got that draft call from Bill Parcells and he told me he was going to play linebacker. <laughs> I was, was going to ask your dad what out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and anybody else but Bill, too. It's yeah. like, the old man was right. He was right. Oh, man. Hey, I, I, I get it, though, because uh, I made the transition uh, from offense, playing offense in high school, and then I was, a, I was a linebacker for a little bit, and then the thought of putting my hand on the ground in college, I was like, no way. One yeah. game. It took me one game to get hooked to be a DN, man. And that's what I did all through college. I wasn't as athletic or, or, or fast or uh, <laughs> remotely the athlete that you are. But, uh, but anyways, I, I get that. And, and I was going to go back, you know, being from the Roseville area. I'm from, I'm from Fresno. Spent, I lived in Vacaville. Okay. So I'm familiar with yep. SAC. Um, uh, and particularly, I played with Lance Briggs. And I was going to say, okay, well, who is the best linebacker to come out of the Sacramento area? Now I can't compare that because you weren't there in high school, but yeah, best athlete to come out of Sacramento. What, what would you say? Well, I think you you can't really. I mean, still a linebacker. I just wasn't a linebacker. That's right. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Briggs, Briggs. He went down to Arizona too. He's a great player. Yeah, but I always got this over him because I think he went to Elk Grove. Yeah, Elk Grove, Elk Grove High, high school. school. That's right. 
And so when the century came around, they came out with the 100 best high school football player list Yeah, uh, from the Sacramento Bee, the local paper. Yeah. Briggs was on there and I was on there and we were both top five, I yeah. think, I think. But there was one that was number one, and that was me. That's ah, right. There was only one. one. <laughs> Bring that paper up. Let's see. <laughs> well, and then you just you just throw this up too. Say, right. oh wait, yeah. what, what do you? Oh, zero. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. I, I mean, I think the one thing I want to ask you, man, I've always wanted to ask you, Teddy. Where where does the where did the competitive spirit come from? Because there's not. Oh, there, yeah. There's something about you and I, especially you and I. Everything we did yeah. at, at ESPN was a competition. You used to kick my ass on those. What are those Friday? What, what, what are they called, Teddy? The Friday the tape uh, offs. The tape <laughs> offs. I used to hate those days. He used to beat me every damn week on the tape offs. But mm-hmm. I mean, where did the competitive spirit came come in from, man? Because you know, in the league, you were kind of as a defensive end in at U of A, you were undersized. In yep. the league, you were undersized at the inside linebacker position. Where did that come from? That hunger come from? Well, honestly, it, it probably it originated from being broke. I'm telling mm. you. I mean, those days when I would be around that dinner table and my mom was crying about not being able to put uh, put food on the table for us and having those conversations and like just it, it, what it did to me was like make me have the determination to tell her one day I'm going to take care of you, you know, because all these, everything looks like we're against us, but we're going to still make it through. So it started all the way back to that single parent type of, you know, not have my, you know, questioning where, when the child support payments were coming, all Mm -hmm. of that stuff, how are we going to pay our bills? All of that to where, when I got to high school and everybody telling me that I was too small and too short, when people get told certain things and you're in certain situations, I mean, there's, there's a couple ways you can react. I mean, you can just fold, you, you can fold from it or you can just get determined and get more, mm-hmm. more, uh, more sort of courage to overcome in your situation. And that's what it always was because I mean, I thought I always had a chip on my shoulder regarding what people thought and you know, when I wasn't going to succeed and all that. So it started back then with my mom and seeing the work that she was putting in, and and then it, it sort of morphed into football, and then having that same mentality about just being that underdog. I think that's where it originated. Man, that's good. So, what other what other areas did you have to focus, especially in college? Start there that that you said, okay, hey, I'm I'm an undersized DN. Um, I've got to be better at X, Y, and Z than these other guys. Whether it's you know film study being prepared that way, or hey, I got to be I got to be better with my first step. I got to be better with my hands. What were those things that you're like, okay, hey? I've got to, I've got to excel in these areas to make up maybe for my lack of, you know, reach or, or speed or whatever it may be. Yeah. It was, um, for me, football technique wise, it was how deceptive I could be, um, in terms of pass rushing. See, all I did was rush the passer in college. So it was like, what do I have? I mean, I don't have the size. I don't have the outstanding, uh, you know, speed. I don't have the, the outstanding strength, you know, the, so what do I have? But I had a combination of very good attributes in certain, certain terms of explosiveness, burst, those type of things. So I figured out countering in, in terms of pass rushing because they're bigger than me. So how deceptive can I be and making them think I was going to do one thing and then do the other. Yeah. So sell the edge rush, come back under with the spin, sell the speed, go to power, anything like that, yeah. and try to be the best salesman I possibly could as a pass rusher. Like if it's just leaning forward as a pass rusher and trying to make them think that I was trying to get the speed off the edge, first two steps, boom, back inside. So I guess both of my parents be having that realtor background. I was trying to sell <laughs> sell them on everything that I possibly do and then do the opposite. So yeah. uh, that and then just playing harder than everybody else yeah. really. Um yeah. That's how simple I made it. That's I right. I try to make everything. I'm trying to make everything pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. effort so, man goes a long way. So I'm trying to figure out why football though. You know, you were obviously a competitor and, and you were drawn to the game, but you know, there's a lot of ways to make money. And if yeah. that was the driver to you know put food on the table, why do you think you gravitated to football as opposed to you know a, a subject in school that you could have taken off with? Yeah, I, I don't think I chose football. I think football chose me. Mm-hmm. Um, because growing up in San Francisco, all I did was play in the backyard. And it was like a little grass circular field where you wear your trashy clothes and then you just play tackle. 
mm. you know, with the, with the neighborhood kids back then. And then I moved up to Roseville right before my freshman year was eighth grade orientation. I, I got there the second semester of eighth grade. So right before high school. So I knew a couple guys going into high school. I went to high school freshman orientation and I saw them over there to the right. It's like I can still see them. And they waved me over. And I sat, I sat by them and said, what's up, fellas? What's up? All this, all that, blah, blah, blah. And down at their feet, they had cleats and a cooler. And I said, what are those for? And they said, we're going to try out for the football team. You should come. And then I said, okay. And I went, and that was my first day of practice. I had a Via tennis shoes and like a Hanes t-shirt as a jersey. And I just went out there and started playing. Holy so football sort of found me. Um, my position found me too, because I didn't even know a position to play. Uh, our coach brought us up and like gave us the, the pregame pre-practice pep talk coach Hicks, Don Hicks was his name. And so he said, all right, break up into your position. Boom. Everybody broke up into their positions. I was like, where you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, go with the lineman. And from there I was a lineman all the way through college. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing. Yeah. Yeah. A three-time is, Super Bowl champion just yeah. kind of found it. it. So, so what, what, what about football made you fall in love with it? Yeah. Well, when I first got my, my first pair of shoulder pads at high school practice and I ran into somebody and it didn't even hurt. Mm. And I like that. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, it was like my pads were giving me like a hug all day and I could just hit somebody as hard as I wanted to and let it all out. And that's what really, you know, resonated with me. Defensive football, uh, the contact of the sport, uh, the hitting of it all. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, just a feeling some people like, and some people don't of mm. running through flesh mm. and, uh, Darren, I know you like that. It's yeah. just that feeling where it's just you go through yeah. and you're hitting through that body and it's just exhilarating. Yeah. And that's what defensive players like. It's like that drive. Yeah. Yeah. That drive. You don't even feel it, man. It's the perfect swing, bro. That's that's yeah. the you making a golf that reference? Yeah, it's a golf reference. I'm just yeah. saying, man, I've I've hit a few golf balls in my days. Really? <laughs> okay, too. But 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 I think I think to expand on, on what Darren's saying, right, is Football is hard, especially when you get into college. You got to you got to balance your schoolwork. You got to balance a really rigorous schedule with college mm -hmm. football and the demands of that. And then and then the pressure yeah. of performance, right? I mean, your school is watching you. Everything that you do, you're you're carrying the weight of the school on your shoulders. Being a football program, financially, right, and emotionally, right. If you if you're, I mean, I guess Arizona basketball is probably a better mm -hmm. better program than. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess but, yeah, yeah. That was a shot, but I apologize. I, I take yeah. it back to. But but <laughs> how important is it? How important was it for you that passion for the game? How important? It, my question is, how important is passion to keep you excelling? Because there's a lot of guys I'm sure that you played with. You're like, dude, that dude is so talented, but he just didn't have it. He just didn't have whether that dog in him, right. that killer instinct, but yeah. he didn't have that passion. For you, how important is passion? And, and I want to relate this kind of to life in general, not just football, but for you in football, how how much further did passion take you? than others that didn't have it. Yeah, I guess that, that that really is, I mean, the passion, the love you have for something that you do. And see, and you mentioned, Tyler, a lot of like extra, extra things like, you know, you know the money and the, the university and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But then if you just like siphon it all down, down to a point like this, it all comes in down. You got to focus it all the way down this way mm -hmm. in terms of like the only thing that matters at that particular moment. Like during a game, I mean, the only thing that matters is what I'm going to do on this play. So these fans, I mean, this, you know, this multi-million dollar stadium, all of this stuff, you don't really, you, it doesn't concern you at that point. If you can like compartmentalize like that, which is very hard to do, especially now with kids with social media, because they get, it's just so easy for everyone to get to you through your phone. As hard as that is to just focus on what matters and what doesn't. I think that's what I always had a had a good grasp of. Mm -hmm. um, like what other people thought, it doesn't matter right now or to matter to what I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that type of mind process. But the passion, the love, you can't get through any of that if you don't love what you do. Mm -hmm. And really, that that's, should be the one, number one thing that's in your life is, is doing what, what makes you feel happy. Mm -hmm. All right. So hypothetical situation is, is you've got uh, a young boy, let's say he, he's 12 years old. What's your advice to him in 
hey, look, you're playing football because your dad did, or you're playing football because everyone in your community plays football, but that you're not really passionate about him. What's your advice to him saying, okay, hey, you either go down this route of football because you think you're supposed to, or hey, you go do choir because that's really what you're passionate about. What's your advice to a young man like that? Uh, yeah, I was in the choir myself, actually. I, I was too. Chamber choir, eighth grade, no, no big deal, boys. <laughs> California boys, I tell you, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I would say first, just make your decision on what it is you love. We talk about passion and love, okay? So let's just say, if it's music or it's sports, whatever it may be, make a choice. I mean, which one is it? Well, can I have both? Yeah, you can have both, both too. Make a long-term goal in terms of where you want to take that. Mm. But only put the long-term goal out there a little bit, you know, because break down that long-term goal in terms of steps on where you are in terms of achieving it. Like, so if the Super Bowl is a goal, it's like, okay, how do you, we want to win the Super Bowl? All right, well, we got to win the NFC Championship, AFC Championship. Well, back there, you got to win your division. Then you got to win this many games. You got to do well in the preseason. Then it takes you all the way back to the offseason. Then that'll take you all the way back to like an individual workout. What's mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. And so break it down all the way to that. So what do I got today? Mm-hmm. And then think about that and accomplish that. Um, it's hard. To, sometimes you can get overwhelmed by, but I want to do this. She just can't do that unless you do some things first. Yeah. And so it's hard for kids to do that sometimes. Yeah. So that's what I stress. Yeah. That's what, I mean, Ben always says this, right? Like if someone that's got, Hey, I want to lose a hundred pounds. Right. And his biggest thing is like, don't be yeah. focused on losing a hundred pounds because that's a really big goal. Focus on getting a workout in today. Yeah. Like that's yeah, the first yeah, step. Yeah. Let's start with three. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so you're at Arizona and, and as Darren mentioned, when, when we came in, ha- had a great defense um, and, and you had a successful career there and you're, you're about to go into the draft. What was that experience like for you? Because, and we talked about literally on our first episode is, is your experience going through the draft. It's right. so different today than it was in the nineties and early two thousands, right? It's so different. Yeah. So what was yeah. that experience like for you? And we use the term meat market, which right. I don't think that's really changed, but what was it for you going through that? What were the nerves like? Uh, they're, they're pretty, I had a lot of nerves with that because the process of like the combine individual workouts, um, you know, interviews, those type of things like that. Um, I mean, I was a third round pick. I wasn't any, one of those picks that were at New York, but still I had to do those steps mm-hmm. in terms of the combine, the workouts and all that. And I remember after having that last workout done and knowing that it was nothing into the draft and just feeling like, uh, like accomplished, like, okay, mm-hmm. that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. That's it. If they choose me, they choose me. When they choose me, they choose me. It's like, boom, but I did it. I got it all done because some of those workouts didn't go too well too, because mm-hmm. They, some of them had the bright idea of trying to play me linebacker and work me out as a linebacker where I had never taken a pass drop in my life. I remember working out for the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know who the linebacker coach was back then. They put me on a drop at a 45 and try to break me up. And I flipping those down. hips, <laughs> flipping those hips down <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> I got up and was like, all right, I know Cincinnati's not. Dressing all right. Like that. <laughs> You know what? I tell you one thing I need to ask you, man, because uh, again, going back to how competitive you are, you played at the highest level in college. Like you're a college football hall of famer, right? Like yep. you played at the ho- highest level draft day comes and you are, get, you're getting drafted in the third round. You don't know this, but you, you know, first round goes by and you're seeing players that you played against. Yeah. Get drafted. Is it in your mind, was it in your mind back then to say, that dude can't play? How the hell did he go? Right, right. Was, was uh, I, I didn't think that. I was just waiting for my pick because mm-hmm. I really didn't care. I didn't care. I just, I just knew I'm going to get a shot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a shot. That's what, I was, that's what I was sure of because, I mean, 
I mean, I have 52 sacks in college. I mean, I tied Derek Thomas's all-time sack record. And I just knew that I'm going to get a shot. I don't know where they're going to play me, but I'm going to get a shot. All I wanted was the shot. Yeah. Um, man, I just wanted enough money to buy my mama house. Yeah, that's what I was like. That was like my goal. Yes, a lot of our players, our goals is to buy your mama house. Yep. You know what I mean? So I had that. So I got third round pick, eighty six overall. I was like, all right, how much I get? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn. Okay. What taxes? What? <laughs> right. You know, I didn't know anything about that? It was just F I C A. Yeah. <laughs> So, so no, it, it didn't bother me deep about these other guys getting drafted. I mean, it was cool because I knew they didn't know what they wanted me to be. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I knew if I was like six, four, I probably would have went higher, a mm-hmm. lot higher, a six, four pass rusher, you know, something like that would have went a lot higher, but I was what I was six, one, 240 pounds. And they didn't know if I could play linebacker. So there was, mm. there was like a, the whole tweener. That was like when the tweener thing came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, what's yeah, interesting about that. Just listen to that is, you didn't let things you, out of your control bother you, it sounds like, which yeah. is very, very difficult to That's do. That's rare. But you, have, you had a, a maturity about you at that age that was like, hey, I'm not 6'4". There's nothing I can do about that. I can't control where I go in the draft, so I'm just going to enjoy the process and, and be okay with whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I get into, I did in the training camp. I was one of those guys that veterans wanted me to slow down. Mm. And I was like, hell no. Yeah. Was like, <laughs> Sounds hell like Tyler. No, yeah, I no. same conversation. Uh, ben Coates was a tight end. And I was like learning to play linebacker. And I was dropping back with Ben. And they had te- taught me to like jam. You know, I was like, jam, what a jam. What a jam, you know, in coverage, D, all that stuff. <laughs> so I was doing it on Ben Coates from the scout team. Ben Coates was like, you hit me like that again, I'm going to break your arm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Roger I'm that. somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to slow down, but I'm also not going to do that to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. So, so on draft day, uh, and it's always on, on draft day where boom says, Chris Berman says, Teddy Bruschi. Like, I mean, when he said, did you, yeah, were like, you watching the draft when he said that? No, I didn't see him say it. Uh, the way I discovered I, I got drafted was by the ticker, like the ticker underneath. Yeah. It was like 84th pick New England Patriots, Teddy Bruschi had flashed and then disappeared and went. And I was like, everybody had stopped paying attention. I was like, hey, did you guys see that? <laughs> I think I just got drafted by the Patriots. They're like, what? And then the phone rang. Then the phone rang, and it was Bill Parcells. So, uh, hey, give me his voice. Yeah, what was give that call? Like? Voice, man. It was like ten seconds. D. He was like, Teddy, Bill Parcells. We're gonna play at inside linebacker and special teams. Here's Al Gro. And he passed the phone <laughs> off to Al Gro before I could even say, "Hey, thanks, coach." <laughs> All right. So that's uh, how that went. And then I hung up the phone, and everybody was like, "Yeah, what'd they say?" And I said, they want to play me at inside linebacker. And they said, oh, that's great. Why, why is your face like that? I said, I don't know how to play. <laughs> and that's where it started. Yeah. So, so besides that initial, like, I don't know how to play inside linebacker. And I've said this before. I'm always fascinated. I asked you earlier about your goals. I'm fascinated by goal achievement. That moment when everything we dream about, everything we plan, everything we work for happens. I'm so fascinated by how people react to that. What was that yeah. like for you? I guess for me, finally, when that, 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 that final cut day came and um, I wasn't asked to go to the coach's office because, I mean, my camp mm. was just okay. I mean, I didn't realize third round gave me a little bit of cachet and they were probably going to keep me. But uh, still, I was always on edge that my job had to be earned every single day. And that helped me throughout my career because I just kept that attitude. But when it was when it was done and I was on that roster and it was it was just it was just an incredible sense of accomplishment. Mm. It's like, you know, I didn't really have it wasn't it was my goal to make the team, but it was my goal also to stay on the team. And so like every day though, I had little little moments of I would say every like week or so that you're on the team and you experience another first, like your first NFL tackle, your first NFL sack, those type of things, your first special teams tackle. Those were all accomplishments where you just run off the field and like, yes, you know what I mean? Just sort of things that you didn't know what would happen, but, but they did. Yeah. Yeah. For you, you had a lot of transition, right? Going from, from DN to middle linebacker, but what for you stuck out the most, the difference between college ball and NFL? 
Yeah, I would say just the 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 overall every positional like competition that you'll have, like everybody was just good. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always in college you could always go up against that certain team within a within a season that it's like we know this team isn't as good as the last. Yeah. You know, I mean it's a different division. They're not the Pac twelve, they're not the Pac ten. This is the you know, a different type of division. Fresno and it State. just wasn't that that. Like, wasn't you know like you're going up against Fresno State. It was like, hey, I'm gonna have twelve sacks. Uh y'all <laughs> hey, I'm just saying my 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 Pac ten my Pac ten record at Fresno State. Pac ten record at Fresno State. Guess how many losses we had? One one. And guess who it was? The number one team in the country, USC. Okay. The Washingtons, the UCLA's, the, the the Arizonas, Washington State, Oregon. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Y'all had it easy. Y'all had, hey, y'all had all these, yeah, okay. fancy, so anyway. these fancy facilities. So anywho. I can't uh, speak up. I, I played in the, the backyard, basically, in West Texas. So, Teddy, talk to me about your first year then. Your first year, what was your role? Were you on the special teams only? Yeah. Were you playing? Were you starting? What, what, was, what, what was your situation? Hey, I wanted to take a quick break from the episode to thank our sponsor, Tito's Handmade Vodka. Tito's Handmade Vodka is distilled from corn and certified gluten-free. In the mid-90s, Tito Beverage, yep, that's his real name, Tito Beverage, built his very own micro distillery in Austin, Texas, incorporating the boutique winery concept into the spirits industry. He acquired the first legal permit to distill in Texas and put his life savings into it, racking up 19 credit cards to build his own copper pot stills and condensers. He continues to produce award-winning smooth American vodka on the same land where, where it all started over 20 years later. Tito's has won the unanimous judge's choice double gold medal at the World Spirits Competition, among other awards. It's got a modest paper label on a sip of bottle, so all you pay for is the exceptional vodka inside. Visit us at titosvodka.com for recipes, videos, and more for the Tito's story. Crafted to be savored responsibly. I'm I'm a special teams player, situational pass rusher. I was, like I told you how I, I would go, go hard in training camp. They put me at like either defensive tackle or defensive end mm. in terms of, or off the ball, sort of a joker bouncing around and running pick stunts as a pass rusher. They named that package cactus because uh, I'm from Arizona. They right. named it cactus. So when they said cactus, I would run in a defensive lineman run out. It'd be a different package. So I did get situational reps on defense but mainly it was, it was every, every uh, unit on special teams. That's how it started. I remember once I wasn't making special teams tackles to start the year. And our special teams coach, uh, Sweatman came up to me and was like, you better start making tackles or you're going to be out of mm. here. Mm. I went out that next game, got me three special teams. Tackles. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was like, yep, it matters. Yeah. Production matters. That was a quick little hint on it did. So who were the yeah. coaches? So Parcells was the head coach. Yep. Was Belichick yep. there your first year? or, or your Yeah, Bill was uh, the DB's coach. Um, Al Groh Al Gro, wow. was the defensive coordinator. Um, let's see, was Romeo Cornell there as a D-line coach? Uh, he possibly could have been. But uh, who else was there? Um, Perkins, Ray Perkins was yep. on offense. Um, so it was a pretty good staff. It was a pretty good staff. But Belichick was the quiet guy in the back coaching up the DB's. Mm. Quiet guy in the back coaching up yeah. the DBs. He was right off that Cleveland debacle. Oh. Um, that's all I knew about Bill. I looked back and saw him in the meeting once when he was cursing out the DBs for not doing something on a screen pass, and I was like, that's that Cleveland guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's how that went. Yeah, yeah. he was, he was uh, just assistant coach back then. Think about yeah. how many former Cleveland head coaches people say that about. Yeah, that Cleveland, Cleveland guy. guy. <laughs> and now he's the, all, I mean, yeah. the I greatest coach of all time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, could you yeah. see that? Did you see any of those qualities in him in that first year? He no, came I mean, in? what I what I recognized when he first came to New England, he was very Parcells like. You know, just um, I mean, although Parcells he he dig deeper into you in terms of trying to get uh, like personality, your personality yeah. figured out, and how to push your buttons, those type of things. And Bill was more early on was just more menacing sort of silence and just sort of you'd figure out what it was through his coaches and what moves he made in terms of who started things like that. So it was it was, it was a little different, but similar in terms of structure to Parcells. Mm-hmm. OK, so that that first year as you're adjusting to a new position and 
and I'm trying to relate it again off the field to something brand new, a brand new challenge. Now for you, you didn't really have a choice. Like you had to just figure it out along the way, but what, how did you mitigate, you know, I don't have all the knowledge. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I can prepare other ways. How did you go throughout that process? Not really knowing what you were doing. Yeah. I didn't like, so the lifestyle change of playing football now and not being any school, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now it, transitioning that it is actually a lifestyle and it's, it's nonstop in terms of your preparation and what you should do. Um, like, because I mean, we got to week 12, week 10, week 11, week 12, and I was done. I mean, I thought the season's still going, mm-hmm. you know, where I thought it should be over around Thanksgiving slash Christmas time. No, Thanksgiving. I thought it should be over because that's what the college seasons were like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting to getting used to the length of it. Um, shoot. Also, I mean, having a long distance relationship with my girlfriend who's now my wife. I mean, that was a transition also getting used to that type of uh, dynamic, which was different, but then also turning it into a profession rather than something additional along with school life was, was something that was hard to do. So, okay, let's go, let's go back to that. Your wife, how did you, how did you meet, met her? I'm assuming at Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Heidi is, uh, she was a volleyball player. Um, yeah, I like them volleyball players, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she she was she was from Arizona. She was the Arizona State Player of the Year, so she was she had some skills. So I mm. uh, saw her on the volleyball court. Uh, we actually spoke on the phone a few times before we met in person, and uh, you know, just <clears throat> fell in love in college. One of those college sweetheart things that she, we've been married what twenty seven years yeah. now. Wow, and awesome. uh, it's been, you know, marriage, man, there's ups, there's downs. Yeah. You got to grind through a marriage like you grind through a football season sometimes because there's a lot of L's that right. you just got to accept. You got to take them. Which I've had to learn in life. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? Sometimes it's not, it's not about arguing about who's right. It's just about understanding. And yeah. that's, that's something that I had to get used to learning too. Right. Yeah. So let's go a little further on that. You know, having a relationship, being married, but also trying to be the best football player you can be. And so your attention is kind of in two different places, at least, maybe even yeah. more. How did you personally go about, I want to be the best football player, I want to put all the time in, but I also need, I have a responsibility to my wife as well. How did you go about that? Okay, it helped that, that Heidi sort of understood her being a Division One scholarship athlete, knowing what it took to be successful on the athletic sort of side of life. Um but once you get married and she, and so she's been an athlete her whole life. And then I continued to be an athlete. Mm. So, so her role drastically changed, yeah. you know, so the sports were done. And then all of a sudden she's playing the role of, of wife. And then eventually the role as mother, which is a totally different thing for her. And while I'm still doing the same thing. Right. And so friction at first in terms of figuring out whose role is who, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no, well, well, let me do this, but no, why don't you do that? It takes a little bit of time to just communicate these things out. And it took us a little time for that. So we get into having kids and figuring things out and you really just figure it out on the fly, but hopefully, you know, you end up having that good communication, developing better communication was something I really had to get better at because mm. it's easy to just come home and be grumpy and I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. And I pulled that a lot of times too, but to have really a nurturing relationship is really a two way street. And then hearing her side of the story was something that I really had to learn to do. Mm. It was something that I had problems with at first, but right now in terms of, I mean, you put in the time over 27 years, hopefully you get it right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, we're good now, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Through the yeah. ups and the downs and, um, Really, it's never been better than it's been right now, guys, yeah. which is great. When, uh, yeah, so when did you all have your first kid? Dante. My first kid, that was uh, the year 2000. So we were okay. married three years. Okay. Fourth and year in the league? That was my third. Yeah, my fourth year okay. in the league. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that was my that fourth Dante, year in the league. Dante. You had what? TJ. Yeah, T- yeah, TJ. Okay. All right. All right. So is it TJ, Dante, Rex. 
correct? Yeah, TJ Rex Dante. Yep. TJ Rex Dante. Okay. okay, I got you. Right. Hey, so I want to go back to, you know, everyone talks about the success that you, you guys have had, this, this organization, the New England Patriots organization has had throughout the years. Teddy, you and I have had these conversations about what it took. Tell, tell everyone what it took, because everyone, the only thing we see is Sunday. That's all yeah. we see. Tell us about the work you guys put in those, those championship years. Yeah, the um, the initial because the first championship was uh, that was like that was a very unique championship in terms of coming out of nowhere and really changing the way New England, the area of New England saw football because they just saw the Patriots as losers, you know. Mm-hmm. And so how the mental toughness that's needed to like really change the way people see you mm-hmm. as an organization and as like the logo. You know, that was really our goal. Um, we never knew that it was it was going to happen like that. But the work that had to be put in was, I mean, there was a tremendous amount of sacrifice in terms of egos that were that were changed that first year because, I mean, we won the championship with a different quarterback that started. Mm. I mean, Drew Bledsoe was the franchise right. quarterback yeah. that – I mean, this is probably the greatest example I can give you of what it took in terms of the team concept. When Drew got knocked out and Brady comes in, you can only imagine what Drew's going through. I mean, this is my organization. Mm -hmm. He said, I look forward to getting my job back, all that stuff. We all understood how he was pissed off, but it was okay for him to be upset but it was also expected of him to do the best he could to help Tom Brady keep his Mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. And like, I never understood how he did that. You know what I mean? At that moment, it's like, man, bro, I can't believe how you're doing this and helping him and being so encouraging at the same time. And, you know, that's what really helped us propel into a, a team because Drew's leadership of being unselfish and helping Tom at the same time as being pissed off as being on the bench. Mm, right. It's got to be one of the greatest examples of all time to me. That's yeah. all. So how was the team, right? You see your franchise quarterback get knocked out. I mean, I think the tendency is the air to get sucked out of it. And you talked about egos being checked and, and having just a different mentality and that mentality shift. What, when he went down, who, who rallied the guys together I mean, you're five years into your career, so I mean, you obviously yeah. have a leadership role at this point. But who, who, how do you guys come together as a team and say, "Hey, look, we're not going to let this slow us down." Yeah, everyone, everyone just sort of picked it up a little bit more. I mean, in terms of the the defense was pretty strong. We didn't realize how good we were on defense. A lot of us were young players at the time: Ty Law, Richard Seymour, Lloyd Malloy, myself. Uh, a lot of good players, Roman Pfeiffer, you know, those type of players. Um, So as we developed into better players, the defense and special teams had to make plays as we bought Tom Brady time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Tom only scored a couple touchdowns during that playoff run. He ran for one against the Raiders in the snow and he threw one to Patton in the Super Bowl against the Rams. Besides that, I mean, it was the all other field goals, defensive touchdowns, and special teams touchdowns. That's amazing. You know, wow. It's just, it's, it's just, yeah, I think about that, and it was just, I mean, two special teams touchdowns in the AFC championship game, uh, Ty Law's interception in, uh, against the Rams in the Super Bowl. So everybody's sort of picking up the slack while we bought this kid some time for him to become a better player, which was probably the most satisfying championship out of three was the first one. Now, and now it's, and, and I'll tell you what, what is amazing by that is like, I didn't give you guys a chance at that, in that Super Bowl because you were playing the greatest just, show on yeah, turf. Yeah, you got Kurt. And, oh, yeah. You know, and, and to say that you weren't going to match them touchdown for touchdown, like yeah. the defense yeah. came and showed out. And I think that's what really elevated. I mean, yeah, you got to the Super Bowl, but the eyes, my eyes went immediately to that, the job that that defense did and to what Belichick was and who, who you guys were as a, as a team because, you know, you, you're used to seeing in the NFC how the Rams are just putting up points, points after points. And then you get in that yeah. game and they're still made it. I mean, it's just like they're, they're not doing, they're not the same team. And it wasn't because yeah, of them, it was because of what you guys were doing. Yeah, Marshall Falk, that was like the key point on not letting him get the passing game going through him. We had defensive ends not rushing the passer and hitting him instead. Mm-hmm. You know, those type of things. I mean, Otis Smith, I mean, the, the the job that he did rerouting receivers along with Ty, I mean, just the 
I mean, they talked about running a hundred yard dash, but we would say it's a hard to run a hundred yard dash with somebody in front of you. Mm-hmm. Right. So just that, uh, that old school physical defense, you could still play back then. Um, you get into it a little bit nowadays too, with the uh, little playoff officiating. If they let you play right. a little bit more, you see it at times, but, uh, uh, it's just it's just the way it was back then, and we could we could be more physical with those receivers, is what we yeah. what we did. So you win in two thousand one, you know, an incredible year. At what point, as a team, did you realize, okay, we can we can do this again? We can we can make this a dynasty. Yeah, well, we didn't realize that for a while. I mean, the next year we didn't even make the playoffs. Mm. So you're figuring, oh, I'm glad we got the first. You know, <laughs> we got one. You know, but then after that, when we bring in like Ted Washington, we bring in some other guys on defense like Rodney Harrison, I think in the 03 year. So we knew our defense was going to be really, really good. And then Tom, he ended up just getting better, which is what I think a lot of people just didn't anticipate us us ourselves. I mean, like that Tom would continue to just go like that in terms of his uh, growth. That helped a lot the defense and then all of a sudden it's like man we went another and then that's when we think you know we went another one then we, we got some special things going mm. so so on tom uh i mean i saw something the other day that like you break up his career into three different sections i don't know if you guys saw this floating around mm. essentially like he and all statistically if you break up you know uh the first third of his career the second third of his career and then the last third of his career He's had a Hall of Fame career three times, mm. right? With it, like statistically, and I mean, you know, Tom's had really big years statistically, but I mean, he he didn't put up the 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 Peyton Manning numbers, right? These like oh my, the oh wow numbers all the time, right? But when I mean, what what was it about him that you look at Tom because quarterbacks tend to right they got their sophomore slump and then they kind of come back up and typically there's that up and down but with tom he just got better and he was just consistent what about him you know resonated with with a guy like yourself who really appreciated putting in the work and doing doing the things that needed to be done to be the best at your position yeah what i i think what i respected most i mean it's natural i mean the time he's going to put in Mm. but the time that he put in with other players um, receivers, running backs, those type of things, getting everybody on the same page, I think was big with him. It wasn't just about him with a relationship with one receiver or anything like that. You know, the, uh, the accountability he tried to get from every single player on offense was what was, I thought was really impressive. Uh, just doing the right thing too. I mean, in terms of taking care of the football, you know, taking a little profit at certain plays, you know, not having to throw it deep every single time, but uh, just making good decisions. And also bring bringing other people along. I think that's yeah. a big thing with Tom. Even if you hear him talk, I mean, all he talks about is his teammates, mm-hmm. and that's the way he's always been. Almost like I'm having all this success, and I want to bring you with me. Yeah, and right. so just a special job of letting people feel like that's just who he is, you right. know. And he wants you to share in the success. I mean, and then you get some people feeling like that. And then they want to work even harder for you. Right. And I think that's part of the magic right there. Yeah. yeah well, Teddy, talk us through the feelings. You've been to the, to the pinnacle and you win the Super Bowl. But you've also been on the opposite side in which you've played, what, 18 yeah. games or whatnot. And then you get there and you've been, you were expected to win the Super Bowl as well. Talk us through that loss at that moment. What was that feeling like? Yeah, that's – man – I'm glad that's not my only experience, you know, because the fact that I was able to still fall back on, you know, winning multiple Super Bowls, it really put it all in perspective for me really, really quickly that, you know, that certain certain seasons just aren't meant to be. Mm -hmm. And why I feel that way is because, I mean, I've won and lost in every round of the playoffs, wild card, divisional championship, Super Bowl, one and lost in every round. I know what it feels like. So, and I know what happens when you, and there's a feeling that happens when it's like, this, this is something feel right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Asante Samuel drops an interception, Tyree off the head. I mean, those type of things. And it's like, I, I can accept that the giants were just better than us that day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having lost and having won and doing both is it helps me accept that. Um, was it the most devastating loss ever? Is that the one that you wanted? I mean, it was the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls. Right. I wanted it more than anything. 
and I go over my, I, I ask myself the question a lot of times, would I give up the three just for that one, mm. just mm. for the one for 19 and 0 and give up the other three wins? And I wouldn't, right. <laughs> right. you know, yeah. I just wouldn't because of what those three mean also, but the perfect record without a blemish is special. And the dolphins rub it in your face every single year. <laughs> right. I get irritated every single year. I hear about popping champagne and all that stuff. Yeah. But sometimes, man, it's just not meant to be. Right. So go ahead. I'm no, sorry. you go. Ahead. No, go. I was just I was gonna take it off the field again in the locker room. You know, you talked about Tom being such a guy that brought along others. And so my question was gonna be, because most people listen to this, including myself, will never step field foot on an NFL field. But you're a part of a team in some way. And so for you as an individual, you weren't getting maybe the accolade. Now, you were a great player, obviously, but maybe not the accolades that Tom was. How do 53 guys come together all, you know, with different agendas, but with one common goal? How does everybody work together? And how can people listening to this take those lessons and apply to whatever team they're on? You know, what happen, What helps is when you have a leader at the head coaching position that doesn't um, emphasize the importance of one player. You know, and Bill never did that. And I mean, that's, that's a part of the reason why the, the relationship ends up mm. getting fractured towards the end because it never really changed because the emphasis was never on one player. It was never on Brady. Brady received just as much criticism as all of us. And so it almost helped us share in the success even more. I mean, we knew how, how good Tom was becoming and how he was getting all the attention, but here, bro, you're just like every one of right. us, yeah. mm. you know, and that helped Absolutely. and that helped. And every, we all understood that. So when we won, we knew we were winning together. And when we lost, we knew we were losing together. It wasn't just, he played poorly. That's the way we lost. Right. Cause even when we lost, it wasn't all on him. It was all on everybody else. And Bill made sure of that. And I think that's probably one of the best things Bill ever did during Tom's 20 years is keeping that, keeping that tone in the locker room the entire time. Mm-hmm. Very hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Hey, Teddy, so with all the success you've had, and, and again, you know, you and I go way back, with all the success you've had, you've had your downs. And, yeah. you know, you went, you had a stroke mm-hmm. uh, near the end of your career. It, what year was that first? And then and tell us what was going through your mind through that process. Yeah, that was 2005. That was after my ninth year mm. and which was after the third Super Bowl championship. I had went actually to my very first Pro Bowl after that. So everything's good, right? Yeah. It's all good. Everything's great in life. Personal life just had my third son, Dante. And so that's when I had the stroke, uh, realized that um, I had a hole in my heart that I had have surgically, surgically repaired. Um, my symptoms for stroke were I had a severe unexplained headache, loss of feeling down the left side of my body, and also lost the left field of vision in both my eyes. So I knew something wasn't right because football, you know, you get the numbness, you get the headache and all that stuff, but the vision was just something that was a lot different. So I got to mass general as quickly as possible. And they told me I had my stroke and now this isn't just a regular injury, man. This is like a brain injury. It's a medical injury, a medical emergency. So I, th- I didn't think there was any possible way to play football again. Mm. I mean, I went to Bill Belichick and actually told him I was going to retire. And I had actually had this moment in my life where I thought football was over. So that was a really tough time in my life, not knowing why something like that would happen. I mean, knowing what I know now in terms of stroke and how it happens to a lot of a lot of a, a lot of people, it doesn't matter what your age, whether your ethnicity or background or anything like that. I come, I, I've come to grips with it, but at that time in my life, I mean, I it had taken my my sport away. Football was done, so that was a definite low point in my life. So, while I what I really focused on was rehabilitation and my step by step process, just like it was to become successful on the field. What was my step-by-step process to just rehabilitate myself? How long did you give yourself for that initial disappointment before you flipped that switch? No, I've got to do my steps on this rehab. No, it was, it was a, well, the rehab was immediate that I knew what I had to do because first I had to get the surgery to repair the hole in my heart. We got that done all this time. I think football's over and I still can't see too well. Now I know if I can't see, I just can't Mm -hmm. play football because Mm -hmm. 
somebody coming from the left side. I'm not going to be able to see that coming, man. Yeah. So it was like in the middle of the night when, when I'd see a clock, like a digital clock that we had, and it said like 1223, like all I really could see was a blurry two. I didn't even see the one at all. Mm. It was like a two and then the 23. I couldn't see like right here, the clock. Mm. So, um, over the course of like weeks, I started to be able to see that clock again. And I remember one time I woke up in the middle of the night and boom, my sight was there. It was like eight weeks. It must've took eight to 10 weeks, something like that. But I went to sleep thinking if I can see, I mean, maybe there's a chance that I can play football again. So that was like the first glimmer of hope when my eyesight came back because I mean, I can, you can rehab everything physically along your body, but you can't, I mean, how do you rehab an eye? It's something I had to wait for. So when that came back, I figured there was a chance. Yeah, man, that's incredible. So what was what was it like that first live play that next year? Was there was there anxiety before that? Was it? Yeah, like, I mean, that was that was like in practice, like my first practice back. Our defensive coordinator Dean Pease, like the first nine on seven contact oh, drill was oh. like ISO. It was ISO. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> they run that fullback right at me. Whack. And I hit that fullback and like, boom, I hit him. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm still here. And then, I, and then after that little period, I went over to Pease and was like, really? ISO on the first play? He's like, had to see if you were ready. And we're so either right going to know or we're, like, right, we're going to know back. either way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it got to the game with the Buffalo Bills, which was my comeback game. And, uh, yeah, I remember that first power play with that guard countering over and I'm getting my read and I'm coming over and I made the tackle and everybody was on top of me and like, like, cause of the pile and all of that stuff. But you get up after you go through adversity, I was like, I had to experience for, experience like firsts all over again. Like my first tackle, my mm. first tack, my, yeah. my sack, my first hit, all of that stuff. It's almost like I just wanted to fill up the stat sheet with like one in each call yeah. Yeah. to yeah. say that I did it again as a stroke survivor. Yeah. And that was, that was something when I really started to pay attention. Well, I haven't done this yet. I still got to get my interception. So stuff right. like that. Yeah, oh, man, that's awesome. awesome. So you move on, man. Yeah. So you end up retiring after after 13 years. And what a great career, man. Yeah. And you go into TV. And that's when I, and I meet you on TV. And I can tell you the first time, <laughs> first time we're all set. I said something to you. I don't know what it was, but you, he, he came back real quick. It was like one of those real quick, like, Bam. And I was like, shit. <laughs> no, right. you're talking about like the, the triplets or something like your, your, yeah. your dynasty Cowboys yeah. and like took our, our dynasty patients. We got it. We got it in it like that. So it was pretty quick, but that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, Go ahead. What was, what was the transition? Like what led you to retire? What was that transition like into life after football? How did you deal with that? Well, I retired because that was it. I was done. Four years I played after my stroke. Bill brought me in his office and said, we think it's time. And I said, yeah, I do too. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tried to talk him, out, talk him out of it for a little bit, but no, nah, he wasn't having it. Uh, but so, so, so I retire. I get out of there and shoot, I'm ready to just, all right, what do we got now? I mean, where are we going to live? I was talking to Heidi. We were talking to Heidi about that and the family. And then ESPN called and they asked if I wanted a three-year contract, you know, come be an analyst on NFL Live. And I was like, where is it? It's Bristol, Connecticut. It's like a two-hour drive. I was like, okay, I can do that. So, boom, busted in the car down to Bristol, Connecticut on that very first Thursday show of the opener of the season, Tennessee Titans versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was me, Darren, and Trey Wingo. And I was like, all right, fellas, what do we got? And they were like, yeah, you see that red light? Just look at that red light. Let's just talk about football. And <laughs> I can do this. Years later, Dude, I'm still I can do this. Wow. And I, I'm yeah. telling you, I've never seen anybody work as hard, man. I mean, it, just on in every phase and just know the game and have a passion, like a true passion for the game. I remember when I was leaving, I had a, a talk with Seth Markman, who was the executive producer. And he said, well, well, why are you leaving? And I said, man, have you seen Teddy's passion? And he's like, <laughs> hell yeah, we see it every day. I said, I don't, that's not my passion. I can't get, <laughs> I couldn't catch up, man. I couldn't keep up. And, and, I, and it speaks to who you are, Teddy. I mean, how, how involved you are every single day. Football is, has played a major part of your life. And you do yeah. a hell of a job. I just wish on Sunday they let you get up on the board. 
and talk yeah, football, right, like, right. and just yeah. teach football, man. I mean, that's that. That's one of the things I always tell people: just get let let him get up on the board and teach you what the game's all about. Yeah, it's fun. I love I love doing it, man. My passion's still there from like when I was in high school. I mean, I love it that much, and now it's just I love talking about it rather than than playing it. And I mean, you being there for that ten years for me helped me out a lot. I mean, I could I could tell your your passion. I mean, you got passion. It just shifted. Yeah. It shifted to another form where you want to go conquer somewhere else. And you're doing that now. So that's what passion can do sometimes. I mean, it never leaves you, but it can redirect you. Yeah, true. So I understand that totally. All right. So now three kids, Heidi, your wife right now, what's what's next in your life, man? What's the future look like for Teddy Bruschi? Uh, I'd say the future is I'm still very active with Teddy's team, which is my foundation. Um, We uh, raise awareness for stroke and heart disease. Uh, we participate in the Boston Marathon, the Falmouth Road Race. There are a couple of New England races. And we get about um, 50 runners per year to really run for our team and run for our cause. And we use the funds raised to raise awareness for funds and for awareness and research for stroke and heart disease. So that's always going to be in my life. Um, ESPN is still a big part of my life. Sunday countdown. I mean, starting on NFL live with you. And then now they asked me to do the Sunday show, which is great. Love doing that Mm -hmm. with Randy Moss, Matthew Hasselback, Rex Ryan, Mm -hmm. you know, Sam Ponder. It's a great team that we've had for the last couple years with COVID. We've had to be in New York this year and that we finished that out strong. Everybody stayed healthy. Thank goodness. We got one more show in Tampa for the Super Bowl. And after that, um, one more year, one more year at ESPN, as, as it turns out right now in terms of contract wise. And, you know, I, like I said, I don't look too far down mm-hmm. right now. I'm just looking at where I am right now and ESPN, Teddy's team. I help coach football at the high school level. Yeah, my son Dante yeah. is a sophomore uh-huh. and Man, just pure joy. That's that's my life. Okay, right now. so one more. I got I, I got a couple quick. What's fatherhood like for you right now? Because you're you're sitting there watching Dante. Dante's a, a dog. He can he can get it now. I see a little yeah. some <laughs> clips of him. He can get it. So what's yeah, that like I mean, for you, coaching? Yeah, Dante's he, he's doing great. Um, I, I coach my older son Rex in football. Also, um, I mean it's great. I got two in college. Uh, one of them went to Clemson to be a student. He was like, Dad, I need to get out of New England for a little while. Yikes. I was like, good decision. Go get mm-hmm. you some sunshine. <laughs> so he's down there in South Carolina having a great time down there. Rex is going to play lacrosse up at Endicott, which wow. I'm excited to be a dad and just wow. watch him play a sport that I've come to love, right. the sport of lacrosse. And uh, just pride, watching my boys grow, become good men, Um do my best not to put pressure on them, not let them know to be their own, their own selves. I mean, the best version of themselves. And that makes me proud. And I love all three of my sons, man. As I, as I know you do your yeah, kids man. too. Yeah, yeah, along those lines, you know, I've got a four year old son and an almost one year old son and man, watching my four year old play, you know, soccer, it's a blast. I absolutely love yeah. So for you personally, is it more fun watching your boys play or you playing yourself? What 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 finds you? What do you find more joy? Do you think? Uh, I would say the the most joy that I have is having to watch my two of my sons. One of them didn't play football. He, he was a basketball. He was a hooper. But I couldn't help him much on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but watching them play and then me coaching and then seeing how they accept like. Like for me trying to help them improve as a father, like as a player mm-hmm. and then watching them go out there and then do something that I help them accomplish. And they sort of give me that look like, thanks dad. That's awesome. That's the coolest thing, man. Oh man, I can't That's wait. That's the coolest yeah. thing. You know I what I mean? Wait. So trying to help them as, as little or as much as I can yeah. and just seeing them have a good time is what gives me just probably the greatest amount of joy. That's awesome. right. All right. So you talked about focusing on the present, right? The present is the Super Bowl. This this will not air before the Super Bowl. Um, so so we're going to challenge. It will your, air before the Super Bowl, actually. Yeah. That's, okay, so it will yeah. air that morning. Okay. But no, the sun, th- this coming? People oh, we're a week. Yeah. We're a week. Yeah. Okay, I yeah, apologize. Yeah. Okay. There's, a, there's that bye week. So whatever. so you've had a little time to really kind of focus on, on Tampa Bay uh, yeah. and Kansas City, right? I mean, obviously, you've studied them all season. But as this matchup, kind of comes comes to a head here 
Um, what's kind of your thoughts on this game? We don't we don't need it, the everything, but would like to get your thoughts on how this is going to end out because we're gonna we're gonna air this and then it's gonna be tested. And so. I'm gonna go bet on it too. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> first of all, I want to see what Todd Bowles, who the defensive coordinator of the Bucks, uh, how he varies, how he starts covering Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, because I think Tyreek had like 200 yeah, yards. Absolutely in the first in, half. In the, in the first quarter. Yeah. The first quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on Davis, that cornerback. So he he started learning towards the end about end of the game, like, let's get back, back a little bit on back this guy. Up. So watching that initial adjustment, if, if Kansas City is able to explode on him, mm-hmm. you know, um, out the gate, um, I, that's the first thing I, I, I want to look at. Um, I mean, Brady and seeing him. I mean, having a better start than he did that first that first game is something that's gonna I'm going to be watching for too. Um, but there are certain things that Tampa Bay does offensively that still I worry about a little. I mean, just those little penalties, the drops mm-hmm. by the receivers and the backs, those little things in a game like this versus a team like Kansas City, and you find yourself, you know, the wrong color confetti coming down. That's so. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. A lot of things. A lot of things to look at. This game. Yeah. It's going to be a great game with two great quarterbacks with like two different offenses. Like Tom's under the center and they're run play action. Mahomes, he's back in the gun most of the time, just slinging all over the place. So it's going to be great. Teddy, to watch. You, you've broken down, and I'm gonna put you on the spot. You've broken down quarterbacks for forever. You played against some of the great ones. Uh, you know the Peyton Mannings. You saw what the probably the greatest of all time, t- uh, Tom Brady, every day in practice. What is it about? First of all, what is it about Brady that makes him special? And then I want to ask you the same question about Pat Mahomes on the other side. Okay, I would say, well, uh, well, just hands-on knowledge with Brady and what makes him special is that every little thing is important. Um, I mean, I've seen him blow up and throw a full-blown tantrum to a failed throw to the flat. Mm. I mean, it's like everything is important to him. I mean, that's that's the one thing that – there's just no let up in any of that. So that probably take that's taken him to where he is over 20 years uh, on the field with Patrick Mahomes. I would just say, I don't know if I've seen an arm like that before <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in terms of what, what that magic right arm can do for him. And no matter what platform he's throwing off of and the risks that he takes to throw it across the field, that combined with, you know, someone like Tyreek Hill is just, I mean, this guy's going to be in this game a lot more times. So mm-hmm. I would say just the arm of Mahomes is something that I, I, I marvel at. And don't forget the best athlete on the field, Travis Kelsey. I mean, the tight end. Come on, give, oh give my, my man some love. Yeah, here, we go. Go. Here, here we go. Here we go. Call I'm him talking. Tight end. Some call him a wide receiver. Yeah. yeah. What is, who does what does he block like? But I just call him the best athlete. That, that's what I call him. All right, your last question. Go ahead. Yeah. Give it yeah. Not football related, but but the last question we ask every single guest is this: If you could go back to any point in your life and just tell yourself yeah. one thing. Doesn't necessarily mean you go change anything, but if you go that back and tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? I would say there's two things that you need to have that you need to start learning right now. And that's empathy and humility. Because I say that is because those are two things that I feel in today's world is what you need to be a good leader. Uh, you need to have the ability to understand what someone else is going through and put yourself in their shoes before you make any type of judgment. And then you had me to have the humility to be able to say a lot of times what you're saying isn't the most important thing. Mm. And what they're saying is more important. Mm. So I think I tell myself those two things, those two little values and characteristics are very important. Yeah. There, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Right there. That's a great man. way to end it. Hey brother. You know I love you, man. Uh, hey, man, I'll, I love you, big man. I'll be watching you on TV this week again. Uh, and make sure you – I mean, I'm telling you, tell them to give you – you need to get back up there and start teaching. Because you're just sitting back chilling and la- laughing and having a good time. No, dude, put the damn pen in your, in your hand and teach some I folks. Get, I get a segment or two where I can break it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you can break it down a lot more. Man, we appreciate you, yeah, Teddy. Thanks again, Thank brother. Thank you, Teddy. Thank you so much, Guys, Teddy. I appreciate it, Darren. I love you, man. Love Thanks. you too, brother. Take care. All right, brother. See you.